0: Hello, my friends. Today I talk about two terrible terrorist attacks in France. And that's predictable enough, I suppose. But the reaction from the media is worse. And the reaction from Canada's government is the worst of all. I'll let you know. Uh, in the meantime, let me invite you to become a subscriber to the video version of this podcast. We call it Rebel News Plus. Every single day you have a video. Plus, weekly videos from David Menzies and Sheila gunn Just go to rebelnews.com and click... Subscribe. It's just eight bucks a month. All right, here's today's podcast. You're to podcast. Tonight, more Islamic terrorism in France and more mealy mouth submission from Canada. It's October 29th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail why? when you're the biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Two weeks ago, Muslim terrorists murdered a teacher in France. Samuel Patti was his name. He was teaching students about freedom of expression. As part of the lesson, he showed his students images from Charlie Hebdo, the satirical French magazine that makes fun of everything and everyone, every religion. The reason that was interesting, and not just inflammatory or gross, is that almost six years ago, Muslim terrorists attacked Charlie Hebdo's office and murdered 12 people and wounded 11 more. It was clear Uh, a message of censorship, of infidels, of blasphemy, and killing those who defy Islam. And the response by the world's media back then was less than stellar, even worse in some ways than the cowardice shown a dozen years ago in reaction to the Danish cartoons of Mohammed. Back then, the first time, most journalists were just cowards. They were quiet. They didn't publish them. But after Charlie Hebdo, the mainstream opinion was that Charlie Hebdo sort of deserved it. They provoked it didn't they know better? And in the six years since then, things have moved even further. I'm sure that today most journalists would say that the terrorists were victims of Islamophobia and Charlie Hebdo should have been charged with hate crimes. So there's a lot to talk about, a lot of history, very relevant to France and a school teacher, which is, uh, you know, France is a very secular republic. It's the land of the Enlightenment. So it's interesting and important to teach. And Samuel Paty invited his students, well, to leave the classroom if they were skittish about seeing cartoons, or easily defended. Well, they did not leave the class, and they went nuts. I'm talking about the Muslim students. The father of one girl in the class reported Patty to police for pornography, because one of the cartoons of Mohammed had him nude. That same father of a student made YouTube videos identifying the teacher, Samuel Patty, including his address, and led protests at the school, calling for him to be banned, calling him a thug. A major mosque followed suit, denouncing the teacher, calling him a thug, a teacher for teaching was a thug. Well, surprise, surprise, another Muslim refugee in France followed the pretty clear instructions he was getting, and he murdered Patty. He paid some school kids 300 euros for them to point out Patty to him. Then he took out a foot-long knife and cut off his head, the preferred method of killing in uh, the Quran. Uh, when it comes to infidels. Oh, and in case you need more information, that Chechen refugee shouted Allah Akbar while he did it. As the CBC would say, motive was unknown. (laughs) There were words of opprobrium. Emmanuel Macron, the president, who believes in open borders and mass Muslim immigration, he condemned the killing as terrorism. You would hope so. Macron said it was, quote, a typical Islamist terrorist attack, which seems pretty accurate to me. And he said that Islam is, quote, in crisis which I think is true also. Well, Turkey's authoritarian president, uh, Recep Erdogan, um, made that his big moment. And he's actually launched a massive anti-France, anti-Macron campaign. He's just going nuts against France right now, much like the Muslim world did towards Denmark a dozen years ago after they published the cartoons too. Uh, World leaders are choosing sides. Radicals in the Muslim world um, condemn France and Macron, Uh, Some Democrats and liberals sided with Macron. Uh, Trudeau, well, he stayed silent for 10 days, only saying something grudgingly when he was asked about it by the Bloc Québécois. And look at this atrocious tweet by the foreign minister, also from Quebec. We stand in solidarity with our French friends. Turkey's recent comments about France are totally unacceptable. We must return to respectful diplomatic exchanges. But look at this, look at this, look at this. We will always stand together to defend freedom of expression with respect? Hang on, hang on. Canada will only defend freedom of expression if it's done respectfully, as in if you show respect for, in this case, Mohammed, you're fine. But if you don't, like Charlie Hebdo didn't, and presumably as Emmanuel Macron is accused of not doing, then you won't stand in solidarity with him? When when did that last part get added in? Freedom of expression with respect. What? Respect for whom? For what? Where is that in any law book or history book or or charter of rights? Sure, you have freedom of expression, but only if you bow down to me and don't insult me or offend me or bother me. If you respect me, that is if you do nothing that I don't want you to do, you can say whatever you like as long as it is what I like. So you can have all the freedom of speech in the world subject to whatever I say. It's like Henry Ford saying you can have a car, a Model T in any color as long as it's black. Freedom of expression with respect. I'm not surprised that came from Francois-Philippe Champagne, our foreign minister. He's so deep with communist China that he actually had a mortgage from the Chinese government bank. I'm serious. So yeah, that's how they talk in China about free speech, too. If you respect the communist party, you can have free speech with respect. In fact, the father of the Muslim girl, uh, the father who led the mob, the mosque that led the mob, the mob itself, the Chechen murder they all believe in freedom of speech if you show respect. Of course they do that's all they want for you to respect them their beliefs their religions their profits their sensitivities more than you respect your own freedoms your own beliefs in freedom secularism france so francois philippe champagne was actually to be very technical and deliberate about it he was actually siding with the murderer because the murderer was really hung up on that with respect part wasn't he Look at this nice man just today. This is from Mahdir Mohammed, former president of Malaysia Muslim man, obviously. Muslims have a right to be angry and to kill millions of French people for the massacres of the past. Oh yeah, okay. I, and I should tell you that although Twitter eventually deleted that one tweet, they kept up the rest of his tweets in this series of attacks on France, and they didn't suspend his account. Twitter suspended the Twitter account of the uh, New York Post a couple weeks ago for publishing a true story about Hunter Biden's China connection. Uh, They're still suspended. Uh, Not allowed to tweet, that is, but this thug is. And would you look at that? Man shouting Allahu Akbar kills three at French church. Terrorism investigation opened. Paris. Three people were killed in a knife attack at a church in the southern French city of Nice on Thursday, an act President Emmanuel Macron referred to as an Islamist terror attack, and which prompted the country to raise its security alert to the highest level. Well, some people aren't quite sure if it's a terrorist attack. Um, take a look at this. And, and, and let me clarify. I apologize. We don't know ex- the exact nature of this attack. I actually yep. uh, have, have, w- was, was reflecting on a series of other Islamic radical attacks where people were stabbed and killed in mm-hmm. churches. We don't have that information yet. There has been a wave of such
1: terrorism We'll wait, actually, for authorities to tell we'll, us we'll what happened inside this church.
0: Motive of unknown. Now, it wasn't just a knife attack, as the Washington Post said. It was a beheading. It's a bit different, isn't it? Here's the CBC. Three dead as woman beheaded in France. Gunmen killed in second second incident. At least they wrote that there was a beheading. I read the entire CBC article quite carefully, actually, and nowhere do they describe the murderer as a terrorist. They quote Macron and other officials, and in, in some of those quotes, those other officials use the word terrorist, so they're not actually censoring Macron saying it, but the CBC never says the word terrorist. It's actually their official policy. I'm not kidding. They never call Muslim terrorists Muslim terrorists. Look for yourself. Read the story yourself. They don't use the word Muslim either, except if they're quoting someone else who does. Um, the only two places the CBC used the word Muslim is to paint Muslims as the victims here, quotes. It was not immediately clear if Thursday's attack was connected to the cartoons, which Muslims consider to be blasphemous. Well, not all Muslims do, by the way. But hey, thanks for sticking up for the terrorists and explaining their rationale. Here's the other mention in the article by the CBC. That has prompted an outpouring of anger in parts of the Muslim world, with some governments accusing the Quran of pursuing an anti-Islam agenda. So the CBC won't ever call anyone a terrorist. They just won't. And the only time they use the word Muslim or Islam in a story about Muslim or Islamic terrorism, it's to make the terrorist side of the story. You see, Macron is so anti-Islam, what could you expect? She was wearing such a short skirt, what did you expect would happen? Yeah, Justin Trudeau and the CBC, they're not neutral anymore, are they? I think they're actually on the side of the terrorists? Stay with us for more. Would he close it's down false. the oil industry? It's false. Would you close it's down the false. oil industry? By the way, I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I that's will transition. a big It you. is a big statement. That's a Because big statement. I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. Oh, I see. And here's the deal. but it's a big statement. That. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And I'd stop giving to the oil industry, I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. He won't give federal subsidies to the to the gas excuse me, to the to uh, solar and wind yeah why are we giving it to oil industry we actually do All give right. it to solar and wind we and have that's one maybe final the biggest question. statement in terms
1: of business that's the biggest statement okay. because basically what he's question saying question is he Mr. is going President. to destroy the oil industry okay. will you remember that texas will you okay. remember that pennsylvania oklahoma Vice President
0: Biden let me get give- Well that was the most exciting part of the final trump-biden debate where biden i mean i don't know if he regards it as an error but trump certainly thought biden made a disastrous error by saying yes he would shut down the oil and gas industry a message that trump has relentlessly rebroadcast in pennsylvania and other oil and gas producing and fracking states I think it helped clarify the choice on the ballot next week in the United States. With Trump, it's drill, baby, drill, dig coal, be offshore in the Gulf of Mexico, drill in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, go get them. And with Biden, it's Green New Deal, stop fracking in public land, phase out oil and gas, and basically move to a UN-style solar and wind economy. Joining me now via Skype from the Washington, D.C. area is our friend Mark Morano, the boss of climatedepot.com. Mark, it's very interesting that energy is the last big uh, substantive topic in this campaign, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it finally came around. I mean, it was all, you know, COVID uh, and all the uh, various attacks on Trump's personality. But the last debate, I thought, was very good. It really focused everything. And you can see from the debate that this is a very clear choice. And I'm not quite sure. Biden's campaign is terrified at the moment because you have Ohio, Pennsylvania, all these energy producing states, West Virginia, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, all these states that rely so much on the energy economy. They can't paint Biden. Uh, the campaign's terrified he'll be painted as an AOC squad member, Bernie Sanders. And they have been going overtime, basically coming, peddling a, a stream of... of Uh, not quite truths about Obama's record, starting with Obama, I mean, sorry, Biden's record, starting with Biden himself saying he never said that, when not only did he say that he would stop fracking and all fossil fuels, but he said he would jail the executives (laughs) of fossil fuel companies. So this is a man who during the primaries was pandering to Mm -hmm. that AOC base of the Democratic Party.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, he claims that he never endorsed uh, the Green New Deal. I think that was in his first debate with Trump, but it was right there in his online platform. I think they later revised the wording. It's it's interesting. Every party has their base that likes to hear the real red meat. And then when they go to meet the general public, they become a little more moderate. I mean, you can say that even about some issues for Republicans, uh, building the wall. I always wish Trump would mean what he said when he talked to the base. But the Green New Deal and solar and banning fracking, that's crazy talk to most people outside of the... Al- you know, the outside of LA and New York, that's crazy talk to people who actually think about how much oil and gas they use and to the millions of Americans in that industry. I don't know. I remember it was only about 10 years ago that America was importing billions of dollars a year in oil and gas. Like it was a, it was the world's largest net importer fairly recently. Only in the last year or so has America become a net energy exporter. Largely because of fracking and Trump's uh, opening up the drilling, I have to think Americans don't want to go back to being at the mercy of OPEC and paying for imports, let alone all the jobs. I just have to think that there are more Americans who know about oil and gas than the know nothing millennial AOCs in the world.
1: Well, that's the question. And, you know, that's the whole challenge of this debate. What the Democrats have done is tried to make this on Trump's personality. He sends mean tweets, uh, you know, or he's outrageous or whatever. But on the substance, and and I have the stat here. This is a shock. I just, I can't believe this stat. And and I can't believe Trump has not touted this enough. But in 2019, just last year, Ezra, U.S. energy production exceeded energy consumption for the first time since U.S. energy exports and for the first time, U.S. energy exports exceeded imports for the first time since 1952. Wow! Harry Truman was president of the United States, not Dwight Eisenhower. Harry Truman huh. was the last time we've ever done this, and this wasn't an accident. This wasn't on pace to happen with President Obama. This is what has happened, but pre-COVID, yeah, this was the most astonishing economy. Uh, in sixty plus years, the United States, lowest black unemployment, lowest Hispanic unemployment. You have indigenous peoples who were uh, actually supporting uh, the a lot of these energy projects. You had the labor unions, the union uh, the international laborers international Union coming out supp- opposing the Green New Deal. They see where this is headed. And now Biden's literally going to come in, turn everything on its head. And not only just on the energy production side, but I mean, on everything from the car industry to our thermostats to agriculture. I mean, we are going to be under the gun, and we are headed rapidly yeah. to Europe in the stagnation and the in the growth and the higher electricity rates. And that's what they want. They're not going to deny that. They think hmm. we should be paying a lot more in it for energy.
0: You know, I remember very clearly. It was almost uh, almost four years ago. The inauguration of President Trump in January 2017 and those very interesting first few days where he had symbolic statements, symbolic meetings that, I mean, that were special. What does he want to do on his very first hour, his very first day, his very first week? And one of the things he did very, very early was to say, go to pipelines, to the... um, Keystone XL pipeline that would bring Canadian ethical oil down from the oil sands and the Bakken geological area, Saskatchewan, North Dakota. Also the Dakota Access pipeline which had massive protests that Obama turned a blind eye to. Trump got those deals done immediately. There's been a huge boost in pipeline construction in America. I don't I wonder if people remember how bad it was. How Locked down it was how Greenpeace really had more authority over the land than the U.S. Congress. I I wonder if people remember the bad old days because it's been such a transformation in four years.
1: It really has. And the transformation that would happen if President Biden's elected, I mean, we already know AOC and Bernie Sanders wrote his plan. And by the way, when Biden says, "I, I don't support the Green New Deal, that's not my plan. He means it's Biden's Green Deal. That's his exact quote, Biden's Green Deal. So he's getting a semantic issue there. And obviously Biden's Green Deal doesn't go as far as Bernie Sanders and AOC. But Bernie Sanders actually came out three weeks ago and just told all his fellow progressives, socialists, just stay calm. Let's let the election go. And then we'll be kind of like, don't come in and start criticizing Biden for you know walking right. away. And it's a very sw- smart, strategic move. Uh, because you know they don't want the progressives to tip their hand and scare off any of these so-called you know undecided voters. Although it's hard to believe anyone can be undecided in America right now.
0: Yeah, let me ask you. I, I've been. I mean, you, you and I said to each other just before we turned the camera on how on a knife's edge the election is. It really feels like it did four years ago. Fifty-fifty could go either way. So many states uh, up for grabs. I want to believe that Texas is. impenetrable to the Democrats. But Beto O'Rourke came mighty close when he was running there. And, you know, because of demographic changes, and there's been tens of millions of dollars spent by Soros-type financiers. If they took Texas, the, the Republicans would never win again. I think they thought they could turn Texas blue. I'm hoping that this oil talk keeps Texas red. Do you think there's any chance Texas would tilt Democrat? I mean, ask me five years ago, I would have laughed. That would be like saying Alberta, Canada would vote liberal, Texas voting Democrat. But Beto O'Rourke came within a couple of points of it, didn't he?
1: I can't remember the exact number. I think it was maybe 40, uh, 53, 47. I can't remember. But yes. If First of all, if Texas goes, there's no way Trump's going to win. I mean, because that would would indicate a groundswell for Biden against Trump. And, you know, the media is doing all the same stuff they did last time. Georgia's in play. Texas, I don't think it's in play now. However, as you mentioned, demographic changes. People are leaving California. A lot of people are heading to Texas. Immigration, illegal immigration, legal immigration. So the whole state is changing. It's targeted because it doesn't help the progressives to have you know huge majorities in New York or California they need to spread out uh and so uh, believe me any politicians and, and and even the federal government they're going to try to spread those voters out to try to neuter places like that and of course Florida is great florida's very much has been on the edge i mean the governor's race it was you know there's these are close enough all within all within call though it looks like trump has florida even if he doesn't win the presidency but Everything's in play, because it's very simple, Ezra, especially in the era of the COVID lockdowns. The more people that are harmed economically, the more the government is going to bail out and come up guaranteed income now is very likely it's probably going to be a bipartisan bill within 5 years because of you know this is what the progressives achieved this is what they were able to do with covid so the more people that they can get on government the more people they can control and either control through the lockdowns control through environmental or energy regulation the more people that that it's going to be harder and harder to ever defeat that my hope is that this election, I don't think it's going to be decided on fracking. I think this election is very simple. Are people in America sick, and America is the last bastion, I consider it, the last bastion. This is the country where it would turn back. Are they sick of having unelected bureaucrats tell them they can't go to weddings, funerals, have barbecues, have Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner? Uh, Are they sick of telling them they had to put on a mask in between bites with your family? I think, and Trump is focusing on this in the last few the weeks of this campaign. I think that could be the ultimate. If Trump wins and wins decisively, I think it's going to be a electoral shock against COVID lockdowns, and not on energy policy, not on foreign policy, not on even economics. I think that's it. And I think if it if it goes the other way, then I think Americans are ready to be ruled. Uh, and to large, many Americans are ready to be ruled, and they got you know they got the majority this time.
0: You know, I think you're right. I think. That part of the debate, and I, I, this, we, we love talking with you about energy and environmentalism. That's your area of expertise. But you're also used to work um, on Capitol Hill, so I know you know politics very well. And this is turning into a bit of a review on the debate, but I remember Trump was, I think, at his most persuasive when he said, look, I got the illness, but I, I came back. My yeah. wife uh, and son got it, barely even noticed it with Barron. And we got we to gotta live. We got to... You know, I mean, and he sounded so reasonable there, actually, if I recall. And I think a lot of Americans just want to be allowed to be normal and not locked down and not stressed out and not in this, what was supposed to be a two weeks till we flatten the curve moment. I actually think that the media class loves masks, loves lockdown. I read some tweet from the UK that said, there's not a lockdown. There's just middle-class people uh, who have Low, working class people deliver them food. Wh- middle class people working from home yeah. while working class people deliver them food. And it's right, for, for the ruling classes, the media class, the political class, they've loved the pandemic. No well, one's yeah. lost any money. They've had a lot of free time at home. Uh, and, you know, a lot of them have, government furloughs, have been getting full pay for zero work. The actual, the real working class is sick of it. Moms are sick of it. Uh, people who are sick of being told to wear masks that do work, don't work, do they work? It, it. I think that that issue is a sleeper. And I think Trump I, I definitely has the edge there. Boy, give me a prediction. I, I hate to put, to ask you for it. Because I'm I'm the same as you. It's 50-50 to me. Do you think he's going to pull it off on Tuesday?
1: Well, the, the background is this. Had COVID lockdowns not happened, not if COVID could have come, we could have handled it like we handled the 1968 flus, 1957, the Hong Kong Asian flus. No reason to have ever locked down. No reason for Trump to have put Fauci up. But had that never happened, Trump was cruising to, a, I would say, an easy Mm re-election. I mean, with the lowest, uh, best economy, lowest unemployment. However, I'd say it's 50-50 now because of this mail-in balloting, the potential for fraud, the uh, the whole idea of uh, the election coming on a lot on Trump's personality. The Democrats were successfully able to make that an issue. So you got your soccer moms not voting on whether kids are going to school or COVID lockdowns or fracking or energy or economy. They're voting on, oh, you know, I'm so sick of Trump and hearing about him in the media. That's part of the strategy. I'd say it's 50-50. On some days, my gut says Biden. Other days, I see more hope for Trump. But I think ultimately, my meter tilts to Biden somehow pulling this out. And I don't know why, but I do think the possibility of electoral anti-lockdown COVID shock that could... Be heard around the world, and I'm talking about places like North Carolina, where the Democratic governor has a, you know, gyms closed and movie theaters closed. I don't think North Carolinians in the South in America can can put up with that. But I could be wrong. He's up for re-election this year. That's a bellwether for me. I don't care what the polls show. Wow. Uh, this is where we are. But I, you know, unfor- I predicted Trump would lose in 2016. So we, I always like to give you my track record, uh, you know, in terms of that. Uh, so in terms of Trump predictions. So take it for what it's worth. I I, I think it's 50-50, edge to Biden. Yeah,
0: well, it's better to be pessimistic. That means your uh, feelings aren't hurt if it turns out poorly and uh, (laughs) and you get a boost if you're wrong. Um, It's so hard to tell, I agree with you, fraud's a big issue. The tech companies are suppressing stories and suppressing sharing of social media posts. That was really key to Trump last time. And I have to say, even though it's uh, five days till the election, in these days, five days is an eternity. There may yeah. still be a November surprise <laughs> that we get. Or, or I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but I mean, just think about what happens in any given week, whether it's peace with Bahrain or the president going in and then coming out of hospital for the virus or the Hunter Biden, la- I mean, almost every day, we have a month's worth of news, so you never know what will <laughs> happen between now and then. Great to see you, Mark. Let's hope for the best. This is important not just to America, but to Canada and the world, too. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Ezra. I appreciate it. All right. What a pleasure to have you.
0: Stay with us. More ahead. On Level <laughs> hey, welcome back to my monologue last night. A.B. writes politicians organize rallies of thousands of people, no one bats an eye, and one little family organizes Christmas dinner, and everyone loses their minds. Yeah, you're talking about the cops in the UK saying they're going to go break up Christmas dinners. Um, You know what? You can do that in a country that you have disarmed, in a country without firearms. So yeah, maybe they're going to do it. And really, um, half the Brits seem to be going along with things anyway, so they'll comply. Mike writes, don't kid yourselves, this is coming to Canada. It might, it might. We're halfway between the UK and... United States in many ways. Uh, we haven't seen the kind of abuses here yet, thank God, knock on wood, that we have in the UK and Australia. I hope we don't. On my interview with Sheila Gunn-Reed, McGuire writes, hold their feet to the fire, rebels show the public how these crooked elitists operate. You know what I, I learned after, I spoke to the lawyer after the trial yesterday, after the hearing, and he said there were six lawyers on the government side, six government lawyers in the court all day We had one lawyer, six lawyers. I thought Alberta was in a recession. I thought they were short of funding. I thought they were running a huge deficit. I thought there were problems with healthcare and unemployment. I didn't know the government of Alberta had so much money they could put six government lawyers on our case of this billboard. And what's even stranger is I don't know why it's happening under Jason Kenney's premiership. I don't know, but uh, we'll keep fighting. If you want to learn more, go to rebeltrial.com. All right, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel Headquarters, to you at all, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.